We're in week 34 of the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 11, if you'd like to go ahead and turn there, if you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 11. I don't know how many of you have ever been over near 540 and Glenwood Avenue and 40, that stretch there, that like two and a half mile, three mile stretch. Anytime a president flies into the Raleigh-Durham airport, uh, anytime a presidential candidate would fly into the Raleigh-Durham airport, if you're ever trying to get to somewhere in Raleigh during that time, that includes 40, 540, or 70, good luck, right? Good luck. Dignitaries come through and we stop as the presidential motorcade. I've never... Uh, personally and, and lived near D.C. for four years and never really was able to experience this, but the presidential motorcade is they clear traffic and push everything out to the side so that everyone can stop for a little while and allow the dignitaries to come through. Jesus was a new kind of king. Um, he operated in a different paradigm than, in reality than any other ruler had up until that point. He He had spent the last several months, uh, many theologians think about nine months he had spent, uh, making his way through Galilee down into Judea. And during this time, if you take all of the four Gospels together and you add up the different interactions he had over this, this block of time as he was journeying towards Jerusalem, he had 30 different, 35 different interactions in 35 different locations. So there were interactions there that he had. And he arrived in Bethany just outside of Jerusalem in time for the annual Passover. It's the feast, the Jewish feast, the Passover. I don't want to get too academic this morning, but I geek out on some of this stuff. Um, We have been through the book of Mark, and so far we have been through the entire life of Christ according to Mark through the voice we think of Peter. And we have yet, in his three and a half years, three to three and a half years of earthly ministry, Jesus is nowhere recorded having attended the Passover in any of the three previous years. You say, what does that mean? Well, according to the book of Exodus in chapter 23, and I'm not going to read the verses, uh, according to Exodus chapter 23, it was Jewish law that every male Jew attend the Passover in Jerusalem every year. I just find it interesting that as Jesus came and Jesus did things differently and as Jesus came and He made the Pharisees mad and as Jesus came and He made the religious rulers and leaders mad, we oftentimes scratch our head and say, man, those people, like, why were they so mad? Well, think about it. I mean, Jesus was kind of coming and saying, oh, I'm supposed to come to the Passover every year? Ain't coming. Didn't come. At least there's no record of it. Now, the book of John explains that there were thousands of things that Jesus did. And had we the, the, the books to write them in, the world could not contain everything. So certainly, this is an omission. And certainly, he could have attended the last three years. It's just nowhere recorded in all four of the Gospels. And you would think something so significant as the Passover would be recorded in one of the four. And so I, I, I can't speak authoritatively here. But I just find it interesting that this is the first time we think that Jesus is going to be attending the Feast of the Passover. 
Either way, no matter what, he was now in Bethany, okay, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Now, if you remember the name of the city of Bethany, the town of Bethany, many believe that he was with his friend. Uh, you may remember this guy. His name was Lazarus, resurrected Lazarus. Mary and Martha, they were a close-knit friend group, and many believe that he could have been there visiting with them. Certainly, Jesus' return to this town of Bethany would cause quite a stir. Because the last time Jesus was in Bethany, he raised Lazarus from the dead. The last time he was there, he thundered out the words, Lazarus, come forth. You remember that? By the way, side note, how awesome is that he didn't stop there? Lazarus came out, he had the grave clothes still on him, and what did Jesus say? Loose him and let him go. So he didn't want to just raise him to life, he wanted to give him abundant life. That's not the sermon today, but that was, that was good preaching, not going to lie. Um, think about it. Jesus had healed, I'm sorry, had risen, raised Lazarus from the dead the last time he was in Bethany. And what is the last recorded thing that happened previously in, in Mark chapter 10? He had just given sight to blind Bartimaeus. Bart, as we called him last week. He had given him his sight. This is a little different, isn't it? I mean, Jesus spent the majority of his ministry so far in the book of Mark, he would heal people, and most of the time, what would he tell them? Do not tell anyone. Go your way. Every now and then he would say tell, but most of the time he would say do not tell anyone. He wanted his message to be clear, not his miracles. And so, but, but here in this, in this point, it seems like he just healed blind Bartimaeus. Obviously, a crowd of people are going to see that. They're going to follow Hey, the Passover's coming. It looks like he's heading toward Jerusalem. He's on I-40 West. Looks like he's heading there. Okay, he's stopping in Bethany. Oh, man, everyone in Bethany remembers him. The last time he was here, man, Lazarus had been dead. And he was stinking. His body was stinking. He had been dead that long. And Jesus raised him from the dead. Man, something is about to happen. And they were right. Can you imagine social media back in that day? Can you imagine if we were tracking famous people and we were, we were posting about it and things were happening in that day? Can you imagine the frenzy that would have been taking place as Jesus is heading what seems like towards the city of Jerusalem? Mark chapter 11 begins the final week of Jesus' life. Passion Week. And by the way, Mark takes nearly one-third of his gospel and devotes it strictly to this week. All four gospels cover today's topic extensively. And that is the triumphal entry. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. If you have your Bibles or an app, Follow along, if not, it's on the screen for you. Verse 1, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, that's the village of Bethpage, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. 
But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let him go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, they were spiritual. They said, blessed. They used the, they didn't say blessed like you and I would say. They said, blessed. It's a joke. Um, Is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Heavenly Father, speak, speak through your word. Bring clarity today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of today's message is simply, Here Comes King Jesus. Here Comes King Jesus. It's a little different than the first 30 sermons that we've spoken of here in the book of Mark. This is a little different. I told you we were transitioning, and I told you it would be different. But number one, I want us to see as we jump right in today, and I, and I, know, the, I know the time, worship the prophecy fulfiller. Here comes King Jesus, so worship the prophecy fulfiller. Verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go to the village opposite you. As soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. Jesus riding into town on a colt, on a donkey, is significant. In the Old Testament book of Zechariah, as you know, the life of Christ was really a a just massive fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Nearly nearly everything he did, you could point back and say, oh yeah, they said he was going to do that. Oh yeah, if you read this, they said, yeah, okay, I'm connecting the dots. Well, here's a dot connector. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. How are you going to recognize your king? Your king is coming. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus not only fulfilled the prophecy here, of riding in on a colt, but he even took it a step further and he rode a previously unridden colt. If you notice that in our text. In biblical culture, an animal that was devoted for a special sacrifice or a sacred task would be one who had not ever been ridden. And not been put to what we would call ordinary use as an animal. And this was this young colt. To the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, and and even to the common Jew, Jesus was making this statement that He was, in fact, the promised Messiah. He was the one who would fulfill all prophecy. This was the King they had been waiting for. This was one of the many Old Testament prophecies that He would be the fulfillment of. He was the king that Zechariah said is coming. O daughters of Zion, rejoice. Shout. 
He's coming. He's coming unusually. He's coming riding on a donkey. He's coming riding on a colt. However, if you think about it, we'll, we'll get there. Secondly, secondly, so first of all, we're going to worship the prophecy fulfiller. This was Jesus who had been foretold. Secondly, this morning, as here comes King Jesus, we're to worship the worthy one. The worthy one. Look at verse 7. We're continuing in our text this morning. That's just the way we do it. Look at verse 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Having obtained this colt, this donkey, Jesus now begins his entry down from the Mount of Olives. Luke's Gospel tells us. And he, his procession seems to gain more and more followers. Can you imagine Jesus having healed Bart? Jesus in Bethany with all of Lazarus, his family and friends. The crowd was getting bigger. Is he going to go? Is he going to go to Jerusalem? Is he going to go to the Passover this time? Oh, he is. Oh, okay. And the crowd gets bigger. What's going to happen? Man, the Pharisees and Jesus, man, they've squared off all throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus. What's going to happen here? The last time Jesus was at the temple, you remember it? He was 12 when he taught. You remember that? Way back in his life, he was 12 years old. Confounded, you remember his parents lost him? All of these things are taking place and, and, and he's going. Oh, he is going. He's walking. Those surrounding him did not know what to do other than cast their garments down before him. Other than prepare the feet of the colt. I was going to say here, my point here was going to be worship the humble one. But in my opinion, this is the first time, and I'm not saying Jesus was not full of humility. This is the first time where Jesus is, is basically like, I'm okay if people recognize that I'm on this cult, this prophesied cult. I'm okay if people recognize that I'm heading into Jerusalem as the promised Messiah. So it's not that he was not humble here. I just don't know that this was a display necessarily of humility. I believe it's a, a display of his worthiness. They surrounded him and, and, and counted him as worthy by throwing their garments down on the road. In John's account, he mentions that groups of people came out to meet him and to worship the worthy one, that many people came and the crowd began to get bigger. They threw uh, not just their garments, but they threw palm branches down, this is where uh, oftentimes churches, and we've done this before, we speak of Palm Sunday. And that's the week before Easter. Um, uh, and so we, we, uh, we celebrate that. But this is, uh, this is where it would be part of that, where it would come from. The palm branches would represent the Jewish nation's desire for deliverance and peace. And so these worshipers, as they are showing him his worth and worshiping him with these branches, they are acknowledging the fact that Jesus was the one who could deliver them and give them peace. They were saying, this is our king. This is our Messiah. Here comes King Jesus. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy as I take a garment, a coat, and I place it down for his animal to walk on. He's worthy. He's worthy as I, as I take a jacket or a garment and put it over the animal for him to sit on. He's worthy. He's worthy. He fulfilled prophecy. He's worthy. Here comes King Jesus. Worship 
the weeping one. Now, I apologize in advance for this. I don't. But I did tell you that Mark, I was going to let Mark be Mark, right? I've said this the whole 35 weeks. But I need you to turn to Luke, okay? So I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to do it just for this one. Luke, if you don't want to turn to it, it's on the screen. Worship the weeping one. This is the same story, but Luke's rendition. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city. One of the things that I would love to do if I were ever to get to go to the Holy Land is I would love to take what they think would be this walk. And I would love to, I don't know if it's a corner. I don't know if it's a cliff. I don't know if it's just the way the road. But I would love to come to the place where from up at that mount, you can see the whole city. I know it's there. I've seen people that have been take pictures from that spot. But he drew near and he saw the city and he, he wept over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the Passover, the things that make for your peace. He's saying, me, if you'd just known that I will bring peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is a little prophetic word from Jesus as he speaks a little bit to the future of the city of Jerusalem. And by the way, this has played itself out throughout human history. The last major, major event being in the late 40s, I believe it was 48. Another major event a couple, three years ago. Um, major events there for the city of Jerusalem. This is Jesus prophesying a little of the, the struggles that, will, that it will face. And he saw the city and he wept over it. As Jesus is displaying himself really for the first time as king, as he is making his entry... And the people are throwing down their clothes and laying palm branches out for his arrival. And they are beginning to worship him. And we're about to get to what they're chanting uh, this morning. He catches a first glimpse of the city, the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. And he begins to weep. Because even in Jesus' triumphal entry, even in the physical uh, 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 the, the physical. Uh, means by which he is moving into the city, and he is doing that as a man, right? He is participating in the physical. He is still the 100% spiritual. And as he walks in, and as he's on that donkey, and he sees that city, he knows. He knows the end. He knows what's going to happen in just a week. Not only that, he knows what's going to happen for the next hundreds of thousands couple thousands of years he knows he knows the people will not end up believing he knows they will reject and mock and eventually crucify him in just a few short days he weeps over the people he loves he weeps over the city he loves he weeps over the fact that jerusalem will be a place of constant turmoil that we even still see to this day he weeps. And so while he's being worshipped as the worthy one, he weeps for his people. 
He weeps for his city. Isn't it interesting? The other time in John chapter 11 where Jesus wept, it was about another person. It was over the situation with Lazarus. Jesus, his emotions are, are, are pulled at. His emotions are displayed when he thinks of his people. And he, we- and he weeps. And he wept. Mark's rendition does not tell us of this. Maybe it's because Peter doesn't seem like the weeping kind of a guy. He doesn't seem like the guy that's going to be like, oh yeah, let me make sure I put that in there. He's speaking this to Mark. But I believe it's important for us to notice. His compassion and his emotions that came forth when he saw the city. And so we have seen here comes King Jesus and he's a fulfiller of prophecy. He's worthy of worship. And by the way, he's still the fulfiller of prophecy and he still is worthy of worship. And he's the weeping one who I can't help but think looks at his people some today and looks over the believers of today and sometimes that emotion I believe would be evoked if Jesus were here. But fourthly this morning as here comes King Jesus, let's worship the blessed King. Or once again, if I'm going to be real spiritual this morning, y'all go with this? The blessed King. In no other form of English language do we ever say blessed. Have a blessed day. No, you don't say that. But when you're reading the Bible, man, it's like you got to do it. I, was it because like maybe the Bible on tape way back in the day? Did like James Earl Jones or what's the other guy? What's the other guy? That did the Bible. Y'all don't know? Oh, okay. Yes, several. I believe it's the way they spoke. They would say blessed, and so we would say blessed. But the blessed or blessed king. We're back in our main text. Turn back to Mark chapter 11. Our blessed king. Mark chapter 11 and verse 9. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna was a typical greeting uh, here for the Jewish people that, was, that would take place around the Passover. If you're heading to Passover, you would greet one another with this common word Hosanna. However, the manner in which they were chanting this phrase is significant. Is this, it is if they were in a large group of people and one side would say, Hosanna, and the other side would say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I, wanna, I want y'all to help me out this morning. Y'all know how much this hurts me to do this. It was something like this. If someone were to go, Tar! Okay, there we go. All right. Or maybe if someone were to go, Wolf! <laughs> There's like three NC State fans here. That's typical. Uh, but no. Duke doesn't have a response cheer. I have no idea what we do. Um, our, a lot of our cheers have profanity in them, so I won't do those um, here from behind the pulpit. Meet me afterwards, I'll tell you about them. I'm just kidding. Uh, but it was as if they were chanting back and forth, and I don't know if you've ever been in the stadium. I've been, especially at, at NC State, I've been to NC State football games, and man, it's a timeout, and it's, it's the fourth quarter, and it's getting close to a game, and, and, and the other opposing team calls a timeout, and they're down there talking to their players. And I've heard that stadium get so loud with one side chanting, Wolf, and the other side chanting, Pack, that you can't hear yourself think. I think of that in the way that we cheer, right? The way we cheer for our favorite teams. 
And I think of these folks literally chanting, Hosanna! And the response being, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I would have chosen the first one. That's a little easier to say. But they were literally cheering him on as he's entering. This phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it is also interesting. It is a quote from Psalm 118 and verse 26. If you, wanna, if you take notes and you want to write that down, that is the reference, okay? The reference or where they got this from. This was a commonly used phrase, but it took on an entirely new meaning here. It wasn't just blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No, it is blessed is Jesus. This man right here, on the colt, on the donkey, this man walking in, blessed is he. He is the one that's coming in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Passover time. Listen up. Jesus is on his way. And I wish today that this was the beginning of a celebratory week. And I wish today that I could say, come back next week as we talk about all the awesome things that happened over this week. But you, you know the story, most of you. You know what's going to take place over the next six and a half, seven days. It's not going to be all fairy tales and roses. But may we understand this morning that these people in this moment recognized Him as the blessed King. The one who was here to bring them deliverance and to bring Him peace. You say, Josh, what, what went wrong? And we're gonna, I know we're going to go over this in the next few weeks, but I'm going to go ahead and say it here. What went wrong? They were actually looking for a nationalistic king. They wanted someone who was actually going to be the king of Israel. And Israel was going to be peaceful, and the nation of Israel was going to triumph, and the nation of Israel itself was going to be back to in the prominence of what, you, what, what, what it once was. They wanted a nationalistic leader. And Jesus came to be a holistic, predominantly spiritual leader. And by the way, and just go ahead and get this out here because we've got three years. In three years, we're going to be voting again. This is all I'm going to say about the 2024 election. You ready? Lest we think a nationalistic king is going to be the answer. May we look in our Bibles. Lest we think that a man is going to show up and bring peace. May we look in our Bibles. Lest we think that we're going to be able to, to, to stem the tide somehow because of how we check off or, or, or color in a dot on a page. And I'm not, I'm not saying those things aren't important this morning. But what I'm saying is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is not a nationalistic King. He is the spiritual restorer of all things broken. He's the deliverer. He's the healer. He's the bringer of peace. He wears no Republican or Democrat sticker. His name is Jesus. And He's the blessed King. Verse 11, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. I love this. So when He had looked around at all the things, at all things, all the things, as He looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus makes his way in. 
and he walks around the temple. I'm not sure what he was thinking about when he was walking around the temple. Did he think back to the days when he was 12 years old? And as a 12-year-old middle schooler, he was confounding the religious leaders of the day with his teachings? I don't know. Do you think he was thinking back of like, you know, I'm the son of God and my parents left me here as a 12-year-old kid. How could they do that? Did maybe he notice the uh, tables of the money changers? And maybe did he think, a couple days, I'll come take care of that. I don't know. But he walks around a bit in the temple and around that area as he prepares for his coming into Jerusalem. As he prepares for his entrance into the city of Jerusalem. And as we close this morning, I can't help but think this is his return to Jerusalem. And I can't help but parallel his return for his people. Think through this with me this morning. When Jesus came the first time, he came to die. When Jesus comes again, he will come to reign. When Jesus came the first time, he came on a donkey, on a colt. When he comes the second time, he will come on a white warrior horse. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a humble servant. When he comes to this earth a second time, he will come as an exalted king. When he came the first time, he came in weakness and showed his, his humanity. When he comes the second time and comes again, he will come in power. And the first time he came to this earth, he came to save. And I hate to tell you this, but he comes the second time, he will come to judge. The first time that he came, he came in love. John 3.16 The second time that he comes, he will come in wrath. That's not preaching that people like to preach in 2021, but He will. The first time He came, He came as deity hidden in humanity. He came as a, as a human being, flesh and bones, blue-collar carpenter. When He comes the second time, He will come as deity unveiled. It will be no doubt that He is God. <coughs> the first time He came, He came with 12 disciples. The second time He comes, He will come with an army of angels. The first time that he came, he was given a crown of thorns. The second time that he comes and returns to this earth, he will receive a crown of royalty. The first time he came, he came to bring peace. The next time he comes, he will come to bring war. The first time he came, he came as the suffering servant. And the next time he comes, he will return as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I can't help but think this morning as I think about him coming into Jerusalem and I think about the way he was received and the manner in which he came, how he will come again. How he will come again. Here comes King Jesus. These people were preparing. He was here at Passover. What's going to happen this time? Are things going to go well? How do you think the Pharisees are going to handle it? What about all the other religious leaders? Are there going to be fireworks? What's going to happen? Listen, all I'm worried about is here comes King Jesus. And as everything is going on around our culture today, hey, are we, is it okay that we say this? I don't really know. As Christians, are we really supposed to stand on this biblical truth still? Ugh. 
man, if, I, if, we, if we do this or, oh man, I like that's so just culturally, culturally irrelevant now. Like, I don't really know what to do. What, what, if Jesus, what, what if we were to present Jesus to this crazy culture in which we live? What if we were to present, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May we lift up our spiritual voices and, 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 and approaching what will be the second coming one day with Hosanna. Blessed is Jesus, he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm done this morning. This is going to end in a few verses and chapters. This is not going to end well. Or so we would think. It's going to end with Jesus ultimately being rejected. Now, I'm not going to stand before you today and say that the exact same people who were worshiping him at this point are the same exact people that were yelling, give us Barabbas and crucify him. That, that preach is really good. <laughs> um, I've heard a lot of preachers say that. And I, yeah, if you need an amen, that's great. It's fine. It's just not in scripture. It's not specific. I, don't, I can't say that for sure. So if I were to say that, I'd be like, it could be possibly that these people. All that to say, we know that he is received in the beginning. And in less than a week, he is rejected. And not just rejected as in we don't want you here, but as in we want you to die. Rejected as in, please release a convicted criminal. And please put Jesus on the cross. That's the way it was going to end. And may I say this this morning, as we take the next couple weeks and we deal with this, may we not forget that all of this was for you. It was for you. I say you personally. It was for you. It was for me. It was for the world. Jesus knew what he was up against. He knew what was going to take place. In fact, he knew so much that he asked God if there was a way to remove this cup from him. Is there any other way? He knew. He knew that it was going to end with him being beaten and mocked and spit on. By the way, I'm not sure there's anything more inhumane than spitting on another individual. He knew how this was going to end. <clears throat> Yet he got on that colt. And he rode into town. He knew how it was going to end when they came to get him, to seize him. He didn't fight. He knew how it was going to end, yet when they beat him, he didn't fight back. He knew how it was going to end, yet when they led him up to Golgotha, he walked up the hill. He knew how it was going to end, yet he did. He loves you that much. Here comes King Jesus. He wants to be your king. He wants to be your king. No, not, not, not your president. Not your governor. He wants to be your king. No, not, not, not the king of England or the king of some nation. No, he wants to be your king. He wants to reign on the throne of your heart. He wants to bring salvation to your life. And I ask you this morning, have you ever surrendered your heart and surrendered your will, repented of your sin, and believed in King Jesus. Have you? 
I ask you specifically, not about your mama, your daddy, your aunt, your uncle, <clears throat> not about uh, the fact that your grandpa was a deacon or taught Sunday school, not about that. We don't pass this thing down. What about you? What about you? Is Jesus your king? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.